everyone, it's Jeannie, Pistol Packin' Mountain Mama Health Nut. Welcome to today's episode. I hope you're doing well. Today in the All Things Health segment, I'm going to share whether or not the ingredient MSG is good or bad for your health, and it might surprise you. And as promised, I'll give you two more weight loss, weight success tips that you can start doing today. I'll talk about how to get fruits into your diet, and then also why you should implement intermittent fasting into your schedule. And keep listening to the Mountain Adventure segment where I share a true story about being maliciously attacked by a humongous bug. I still get creeped out by it. But first, I briefly need to mention a sponsor for my podcast called 3 International. They have phenomenal proactive wellness supplements that are superior to anything I've ever taken. Today, I'll talk just a minute about one of their products that I love called Revive. And I'm especially fond of this one because I just went for a run and I'm sure feeling it. So I took two capsules, and tomorrow I won't have that normal soreness that I usually get. What Revive does is it supports healthy joints, it eases muscle stiffness, keeps inflammation down, promotes exercise recovery, and combats free radicals, and I highly recommend it. You can research this product and all of the other three products on my website, genieolson.iii.earth. And then one last thing, and this is huge, All of the products are third-party tested and are listed in the physician's desk reference. And you can find that at www.pdr.net. Okay, what about MSG? Because it's been on the radar for years. Well, MSG stands for monosodium glutamate. And according to Wikipedia, it's also known as sodium glutamate, which is the sodium salt of glutamic acid. It's found naturally in tomatoes, mushrooms, fish, seaweed, but it can also be produced or manufactured. And basically, it's a flavor enhancer with a umami taste, and that's a Japanese word meaning delicious. And this taste intensifies the meaty, savory flavor of food that you might find in, like, soups and stews. According to Food Insight, it was discovered in 1908. That's 115 years ago by a chemistry professor, and he worked at Imperial University of Tokyo in Japan. And the story goes that this professor was eating soup one evening and he noticed that the broth tasted better than usual. So after inspecting it, that he realized that the improved taste was coming from kelp. So he started to study the chemical structure of kelp and then he found it consisted of L-glutamic acid or glutamate, which is a non-essential amino acid. And when combined with sodium, it becomes MSG. And MSG is odorless and tasteless by itself, but when sodium is added, that's what brings out the special taste. Today, this popular food additive is also produced from fermenting starch, sugar beets, sugar cane, or molasses. An article from Ajinomoto Group Global website says that one way fermentation works is, first the sugar is extracted as glucose and sent to a fermentation tank, to which microbes are then added. And then these microbes consume the glucose, releasing glutamic acid, which through neutralization is turned into a solution that contains MSG. This solution is then decolorized and filtered, resulting in a pure MSG solution. This pure solution is crystallized using an evaporator, and then crystals are dried to produce the final product. Now where do you find it? You can find it in restaurant foods, canned vegetables, soups, deli meats, seasoning blends, bouillon cubes, frozen meals, cookies, crackers, salad dressings, and even mayonnaise. 
and it can be found in a lot of processed foods. The FDA permits the use of MSG in the food supply under GRASS, or generally recognized as safe. They say it's safe for consumption under its intended use. However, some people have stated that they are sensitive to MSG, and this is one reason the FDA requires it to be listed on food labels. Well, shouldn't all ingredients be listed on the food labels, really? Well, according to Mayo Clinic, the FDA has received many reports of what they call concerning reactions attributed to foods that contain MSG. These reactions are called MSG symptom complex, and they include things like headache, flushing, sweating, face pressure or tightness, lack of feeling or numbness, tingling or burning on the face, neck, and other areas, a quick fluttering heartbeat, chest pain, feeling sick or nausea, weakness, or difficulty breathing. Of course, researchers for the FDA say that only a small number of people may have what they call small reactions, and to avoid these mild reactions, just avoid the food that contains them. Well, that's good advice, but it's not easy to do when so many foods have MSG in them. And how would you know when you're eating at a restaurant? Unless, I guess, you could ask the chef. And they might consider these symptoms to be mild, but they're not mild to the person experiencing them. And another concern is that even though the FDA requires MSG to be on all food labels, it doesn't require products that have naturally occurring MSG to be on the label, so you really have to do your homework. Well, why is it that some experts say MSG is not healthy? Well, back in 1960s, one of the first negative reviews came when a doctor reported getting sick after eating Chinese food, and he said it was either from alcohol, sodium, or MSG. So he wrote a letter to the New England Journal of Medicine, and it was his story that sparked a global concern about the effects of MSG. Of course, most health agencies debunked his letter, but it didn't stop the concern people had about it. Well, remember, this is just my opinion, and as always, do your own research. But I agree with the experts that say if it's found naturally in foods, then it's probably safe. But if you have a reaction to the food, then I would stay clear of it. And I really couldn't find a lot of studies that say MSG has a lot of detrimental health effects on the human body. However, based on the fact that you find MSG in a lot of processed foods, I would avoid it. Processed foods have so many other ingredients that are bad for you that I would stay clear of them if possible. It goes back to whole natural foods that don't contain chemicals and, and additives in them. If you do have sensitivities to MSG, Learn what natural foods have the natural MSG in them, eliminate those, and of course read all the labels on your food products. And I know sometimes you'll get hidden ingredients that you can't control, but being proactive with what you do put in your body is the most important thing you can do. Okay, here is my tot suggestion number nine, and it's about fruits. And fruits are just as important as vegetables in your everyday diet. And the key here is to first pick fruits you like and then look them up on the glycemic index chart and glycemic load chart. Now both of these charts are important. I explained how these work in a previous episode titled, What Happens in the Body When You Eat Sugar? So I encourage you to check that out. The two charts that I mentioned, you can find both of those online. And then make sure the fruit you pick has a low number on both charts. A low number for sure on the glycemic load chart. These low numbers means that the food won't spike your blood sugar quickly, and they're considered low-acting. So here are some examples. 
So if you like strawberries, they have a glycemic index number of 40, which is low, and a low glycemic load number of 3.6. Apples have a low glycemic number of 38, and a low glycemic load number of 5.7. So both of these would be good choices. But if you take a banana, it has a glycemic index of 55 and a glycemic load of 17. So that's not too bad, but it's still not low, not the best choice. So what you'll have to do is study these charts and make sure you're picking wisely. Once you've picked out the fruits you like and you know they have low numbers on the charts, then buy these fruits. And then if you eat three meals a day, plan on having one serving of fruit for each meal. So for one week, you would need to purchase 21 servings of fruit. Now fresh is the best, of course, and then frozen would be next. Canned fruit has a lot of added sugar or artificial sweeteners in them, so be careful. And because neither one of those are good for you. So how much is a serving? So take one of your hands and then make a fist. That is one serving size. And I explained serving sizes in more detail in a previous episode titled Taught Weight Loss Tips 1 and 2, Semi-Glutides and a Mysterious Mouse. Okay, taught suggestion number 10 is intermittent fasting. And I thought this would be a good time to talk about fasting, you know, and implementing it into your everyday routine. I explained this one in greater detail in a previous episode titled Is Intermittent Fasting a Fad? In that episode, I share different ways that you can fast. I strongly feel this is super important. And basically, you will eat all three meals in a certain window of time, like from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., and then you eat nothing again until the next morning. You will fast for about 14 hours. This is what I try to do every day. Or you can eat two meals in a certain window of time, or eat one good healthy meal once a day and fast for about 23 hours. And that doesn't mean that you load up on all you can eat, though. Remember I said healthy meal. You'll have to pick which way you'd like to fast. There's different ways to do it, and choose which one's best for you. And then you can determine how many servings of fruits and vegetables you'll need for a week. Basically, fasting is giving your body and digestive system a break, and you'll be eating less. It also prevents you from eating late at night, and the result is weight loss. You'll also need to choose what time of day you'll eat your first meal or your only meal. Now, I prefer to eat breakfast because it gives me energy and strength for the day, and then by the time I eat my last meal around 6, it holds me over through the night. And other people prefer to eat between 12 o'clock noon and 6 p.m., so again, this is up to you. You'll have to figure out what's best for you and what makes you feel the best. Now, can you eat anything during the time you're fasting? And the answer is no, but you can drink water, tea, or black coffee to help curb your hunger pangs if you have them but don't eat anything with calories. Okay, as I end this All Things Health segment, remember to watch your labels for MSG, and although it may not be a huge health threat, you will find it in a lot of processed foods that come in a box or a can, which isn't good for your health. And for the two top suggestions, take some time and figure out fruits that you like to eat, even if it's just two or three different ones, and from there figure out how much you'll need for a week. And don't be afraid to try intermittent fasting. You will feel hungry at first, but I promise your body will adapt and you will lose weight and you're going to feel better. Okay, add these two ideas to the previous taught suggestions that I've given you in in previous episodes and you are well on your way to being healthy. Okay, please share this episode with someone who you think might benefit from it. 
if there's just one person out there that you can think of that might, you know, like it or could use it, please share it. And one last thing, I, I have a Facebook page set up called Throughout the Trash, and it's a place you can post your weight loss or your health victories and struggles. I'm hoping to provide a safe community for all of us who want to be healthy, so check it out. Now, stay tuned for Mountain Adventures. Life has its challenges when your seasonal water measuring job is outdoors near the South Fork of the Snake River in eastern Idaho. Every day, seven days a week, from April 1st through November 1st, I do a lot of hiking and driving to each diversion, which is a canal or a ditch. I check measuring equipment and I get a reading to see how much water each canal or ditch is diverting from the river. And I actually love my job, but I will be honest, I'm not a fan of snakes, spiders, mice, or other bugs I encounter. Some of my diversions have what's called gauge houses that have computers or encoders in them, and they electronically take a water measurement reading every 15 minutes. And then outside of these gauge houses are staff gauges, weirs, and checks, and I, I have to check them all. During the hotter months of summer, like July and August, I have to be careful unlocking the paddle locks on the gauge houses. It only takes a spider one day to build a small web, and I can't see it, and then I'll reach in for the lock and a spider scurries across it. Or as I open the door, a spider sometimes, like a cat-faced spider or some other kind of yucky-looking spider, will swing down in front of me, and of course I scream. I also have to watch for hornets that like to build nests right inside of the door. I have been stung on the hand and even on the back of my neck many times. I think the back of my neck is a cheap shot, really, and it really hurts. Luckily, I'm not allergic to them, but the bite will swell up and I won't feel very good. So I keep Benadryl in my first aid kit to help with that. Once in a while I'll open the door and a snake will be inside and that's when I scream the loudest and I slam the door shut. I just put the lock on and I just hope it finds its way back outside because there's no way I'm going in there with a snake. Now about this humongous bug. It was an unusually warm sunny day, especially for the first part of October. It had been a busy morning for me. And I never know what my day will be like. Owning and operating a cattle ranch with my husband Nick in the Rocky Mountains keeps us busy, especially during the summer months. Before either one of us can leave for the day, things here have to be okay. Many times the cows will be out and fence needs to be fixed or other problems arise. This particular morning, I had my usual things to do as well as deal with unexpected interruptions like a neighbor coming to the door. And since we are completely off-grid, if we have to run our backup generator, I'll do laundry at that time. And this particular morning, I had to do some laundry, wash up the breakfast dishes, and I had several phone calls. All of this made me leave for my job later than I wanted to. So when I finally made it to where I checked my first canal diversion, I was a little stressed because I was behind. And so I was hurrying to make up for lost time. I was doing pretty good. I was getting things done, but I wasn't being aware of my surroundings like I should have been. And I'd stopped at a canal that had a lot of tall grass around it. And I quickly unlocked the door, checked the equipment inside, and then I ran across the steel footbridge that's over the rushing water in the canal. I got the measurement, ran back. Now, I wasn't actually running, but I was hurrying. And I ran back, shut the door on the gauge house, 
and then I opened the door on my Jeep so I could hurry to the next stop. And that's when it hit me. What the heck? Something had just slammed into the side of my neck. It wasn't a horn, it was so much bigger. It was actually clinging to my neck. And I instinctively grabbed it with my hand and I threw it. And when I threw it, it landed in my Jeep. Oh gosh. And there it lay on my seat, half dead but still breathing. It was lime green, about three inches long, had a little head with beady eyes and six legs, and the front legs reached out way past its head. I had never seen anything like it. I kept feeling the back of my neck to make sure it hadn't bitten me. Oh, I felt so violated. Why in the world had it landed on my neck? Was it looking for blood? I quickly snapped a picture of it, and then I had another problem, because I had to get it out of my Jeep. I grabbed a Kleenex. Okay, six Kleenexes, you know, just to be safe. I quickly grabbed it. Oh my gosh, it was so huge and so creepy. And I threw it out onto the road. I checked it again from a distance, of course, and it was still breathing. So I knew I had to put it out of its misery. Now normally, I could shoot it with my pistol, but there was a house not too far away from where I was, so I hopped in my Jeep and I ran over it. Hey, I was trying to be humane, okay? (laughs) When I got to my next stop, I posted the pic on Facebook to ask my peeps what it was, and I immediately got a lot of responses. And the verdict was in. It was a praying mantis. Apparently a female praying mantis. And most everyone told me praying mantis bugs are good. I did have one friend, she kind of scolded me for killing it, but in my defense, I didn't mean to. I did have a few people who sympathized with me, though, and that made me feel better. Now, I didn't know a thing about these bugs, so I decided to research them, and I thought it would be fun to share a few facts about them. According to National Geographic, they are predatory insects named for the look of their folded forelegs. When held together, they look like they're praying. These insects, and listen to this, they may stalk or ambush prey, me, waiting silently, then launching a sudden, individually calculated attack on their quarry that takes only milliseconds. Springing forward, they grasp their victim, me, (laughs) with their forelegs. And then the second and third pair of legs have interlocking spines like a claw clip for your hair, making escape impossible. And get this, females have no mercy to their mates as they are to to their prey because they cannibalize the mate. She'll bite into the male's head while they're mating, sometimes consuming the male until he dies. Wow. Okay, but there is a good side to the praying mantis. They eat other bugs like crickets, beetles, moss, and bees. And if it's an even larger praying mantis, because there's like 2,000 different species, it'll prey on small reptiles, birds, and even small mammals, and then, of course, me. (laughs) No matter how good they can be, I'm just not interested in having one jump on my neck or anywhere on me ever again. Once is enough for this pistol-packing mama. Well, I hope you enjoyed this story, and I hope it made you smile at least once. And to end this episode, remember this. When you've done everything you can do, that's when God will step in and do what you can't. He loves you. See you next time.